Hey, 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 it's your boy Luan back again with another episode. Get biz, do biz, and get paid. And today I have uh, Andrew Harrigan. Did I say your name right? Yes, sir. Uh, Andrew is a financial planner with a really big bicep and tricep. You know, this dude, I see him on uh, Facebook and Instagram every day. It just inspired me to go to the gym. And uh, that's, that's kind of like how uh, we connected together with some mutual friends. But he is an expert in financial planning and he got a really cool history being a, being a farm boy for Vermont and going to blue collar work, white collar work, uh, a little bit of uh, trouble in there somewhere as we all in entrepreneurship uh, has uh, experience to some sort. And uh, so, so Andrew, tell the listener something that they don't know about you. Something that they don't know about me. Well, uh, let's see. I would say I'm, I'm kind of a pioneer, kind of a trailblazer. Um, you know, no nobody in my family has ever worked in finance before. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, we came from a long line of farmers and uh, hard blue collar workers. And so really, that's what I grew up knowing is just really how to work hard. And uh, if you just worked hard and saved your money, like that was the best chance you had uh, to to live to live well. And uh, you know, then then by by some way, I, I kind of found out that there was more to it than that. And uh, it's really kind of a lot of my life in a nutshell. It's been kind of blazing my own path like that. I played hockey growing up as well. Uh, that's maybe another thing that people didn't know about me. So I played hockey for um 13 14 years and um neither of my parents played hockey so i had to bug them and and kind of prod them for about three years before they finally gave in and said okay we'll figure out this hockey thing so the first time i went on hockey skates they didn't know that you actually had to actually sharpen the blades they just kind of got some used skates for me and like sent me out there and so they were so dull and they had been it had been so long since they uh, had sharpened these skates. There was actually rust on them, and so I went out on the ice with rusty skate blades, and I literally couldn't even stand up. On top of the fact that I didn't really know how to skate yet. So, again, um, you know, I'm the oldest of four, um, and turns out that all three of my siblings younger than me ended up playing hockey and kind of following that path. But uh, who knows what would have happened had I not bugged my parents for three years to start playing in the first place. Right. And uh, you talk about, you know, uh, earlier you talk about you went to a blue collar and from there discover that you don't have to trade time for your money. How, um, unpack with me a little bit, how did that come about? Like, were you, when you were working, trading your time for hours, were you, were you feeling that you were missing something in your life? How, how did you make that transition from like, you know what? I'm gonna I want to go out there and create something for myself. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah, totally. I remember it vividly um, when I worked at the moving company. I worked at the moving company uh, for about three or four years, off and on, uh, in high school into college, and then, like I told you, after college as well. And I remember thinking I never was resentful towards my boss, and, and like jealous. I was never like, wow, he has that because, you know, he did something that I didn't. I was always curious. I was always like, 
man, what is missing? Like, how does he get to, you know, have the nice truck and the nice BMW that he might drive in on Fridays and the, the house and the lake and the pool and everything. Um, and all these people, me, are just working for $14, $15 an hour, right? And then there was another point where I had been there long enough where I was driving truck. I was driving the box truck. I was leading the jobs. I was kind of like crew leader, if you will taking the invoices um, at the end of the day from the customer and whatnot. And he were, there was still like temporary workers that he would hire that he would pay more than me. So I was actually leading a crew of people that were making more than I was. And that's when I started to get frustrated. That's when I started to be like, all right, what's missing here? What am I not doing? What do I not know? And it was really, again, just curiosity that drove me to kind of keep on um, finding out what was missing. And I think it was a combination of that and, like I told you, getting in trouble because I was kind of just going through the motions in life. Uh, I didn't really have a clear goal or a destination because, like I told you, I had gone to school for engineering and I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And when I when I discovered that that wasn't what I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted. So I literally was kind of just existing and didn't really have clear goals. I didn't really have a clear path forward. So I was just hanging out with the boys, drinking, you know, not using my spare time wisely, not taking the best care of my body, again, not setting goals. And so, um, you know, like I said, I got in some trouble. I got my license taken away. And I got in, uh, you know, had to pay all these fines and everything. And um, then I had, you know, got a DUI. So I had to go all through all these um, not so fun things and just face the fact that I, I was the reason that I was in this situation. I was the reason that, you know, I was where I was at in life. And that was not much. And so um, I had to realize that that was my fault. And I got sick of my own, you know what, enough. To, to make a change and do something that I'd never done before. And so when uh, a girl from my high school invited me to this network marketing conference, um, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into, but I knew that I needed some type of new spark, right? And so I went to this conference in Philadelphia and I heard uh, some of these speakers talking about, you know, positive thinking and manifestation and, uh, you know, building a team and bringing value to the marketplace and all these concepts that I had never heard before. But honestly, even if I had heard of them before, I don't know if I would have been ready to hear them and actually let them sink in. But at this time, I was in the room at the right time, at the right place where I was ready to hear that information. It was almost like an example of when the, the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? And so I came back I remember going before I went to this conference, my parents, I had like $700 to my name. My parents were like, you better save that because you're going to have to pay all these fines to get your license back. And I was like, hell no, like I'm going to have, I'm going to be locked up and I have no license, not locked up, like locked up, but like I'm, I'm going to have no car. I'm going to be very restricted. I'm going to go on this one last trip. Something's telling me I should go. And so I went and uh, my parents were very doubtful because I had I was getting in trouble. I was not I was being a knucklehead. Right. So they didn't have a lot of confidence or faith in me uh, doing anything good. Right. They thought I was just going for fun. And so I came back and I was like, 
ignorance on fire. I was like, like a, like all lit up, uh, excited. And my dad actually gave me the money, the 500 bucks to start in this network marketing company. And regardless of, you know, people's experience with network marketing or MLM, right. It got me, it, it didn't, I only made about $3,500 in that company building a team of like 40 people. So it's a lot of work for not a lot of money, but I, I learned so much and built some relationships that I still have to this day that again, really changed the course of, Hey, getting me into sales. And then as you know, once you master sales and marketing, now you can kind of build uh, a team around that and, and start to build a company around that. And so that's kind of been over the last eight or nine years uh, that have been on that journey, but it was really that, uh, you know, a combination of curiosity and life happening where it kind of forced me into this change, so to speak. And then I just really ran with it ever since. Uh, so uh, from from what I heard, this is a, uh, I'm, I'm just going to summarize this for the listener right here, is you have, uh, I would say, experienced some sort of life-changing event. Maybe that was the UI. Uh, and then you realize that you took accountability. I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest ownership. Yeah, that uh, that that I hear from you is like, I realize it's my own fault. I realize I was drowning in my own shit. That, that sort of thing. So because if you don't, the the first the first problem uh, to realize you have a problem, you have to admit that you have a problem, right? So uh, so un- I want to I want to dig a, dig a little bit deeper in here accountability. So. So what was uh what was that like for that in that moment for you when you realized that it was all you all along that uh that who self-sabotage I I I did, I don't know what kind of problem you got into but uh it's all from our doing right what what was that moment like was it liberating for you to realize that I can change my life Yeah <clears throat> yeah, you know, obviously it was a gut punch at first, right? But yeah, at some point it became liberating because um, I really, there was, like you said, the first step was admitting there was a problem because when I was young, um, 18, 19, 20, you're, it's just partying. It's just being a young person. It's just having fun. But then it turned into very subtly, oh, it's a six pack with the boys every night of the week. Or going on a deer ride and drinking a couple beers every night of the week. And and now it's become like a habit. And you'd kind of discount that that's a problem until it becomes one, right? And so I just didn't really think of it as a problem until all these things happened. And then when I took inventory of what had actually happened in my life as a result of alcohol, none of it was good, Right. So then I had to take accountability. Then I had to go through the P tests and the the classes and all that embarrassing stuff. But in that, I in that class, I learned, you know, some not so fun things about alcohol and how many people it kills per year. And um alcohol is just one example of different problems or substances, right? That you know, myself or the audience might have struggled with, but in this, in this sense, we'll use the example of alcohol. And so I saw in that room, there was some young people like me who had just maybe made a mistake and needed to learn their lesson. 
Um, there are some young people like me who might not learn their lesson and they probably will be in there again. And then there's some people that were older, like in their 40s, and they were in there for the second or third time. And they were like, never going to have their license again, never going to be able to drive again. And they're, are they actually never going to drive? No, they're going to drive. They're just going to drive illegally. So now I'm like, is that the life I want to live? Do I really want to be 46 or 50 or whatever and still taking DU and still in a DUI class, making excuses and not taking responsibility for where I'm at in life and blaming other people and blaming the police? It just hit me like a sack of bricks that, you know, I was grateful in that moment that I had the opportunity to make this correction when I was 22 when I was still young, when I still had so much life ahead of me and so much opportunity ahead of me. Um, because, you know, I, I cra- actually, before I got my DUI, I actually crashed four cars drinking and driving. And so two of them were very, very bad. And two of them were lower speeds, but either way, all four times the car was totaled. And um, I call it my sob story because all four of those cars were sobs. And I'm thoroughly convinced that, um, you know, the combination of the safety of those cars and God uh, or whatever you believe in saved my life and kept me around for a reason. So I had this just, you know, something hit me after that last event where I was like, man, I got to make something big out of my life because I've been really screwing up and I've been screwing up for a while and I'm still around for a reason. And I'd, I'd had a lot of peers and friends who had passed away for various reasons. Like one got carbon monoxide poisoning in a car and and passed away in their sleep. Another got a rare heart condition and passed away. You know, another, you know, um, you know, I had other friends or former coworkers die from overdoses or, or suicide. And so had all these examples of people who probably had a great life ahead of them and didn't make it or get that second chance. And I did, I got actually four chances. So that's when I was like, man, I got to go big. I got to like take accountability and become that person who's going to create something because in my mind, I just felt like I had to have been spared for a reason. Like I had to. So now I had to, I don't know what that was, but I just had to put one foot in front of the other to uh, essentially, you know, recreate myself. Well, right. Um, so you mentioned that uh, you come from a farm in Vermont and uh, you get in some trouble, this, uh, you know, and make you want to change your life. So how did that experience from working a farm, learning how to work effectively in a blue collar world, right? How's that translate to what you're doing right now in terms of because you, you put out a lot of stuff and it's uh, it's consistent. So tell Tell me a little bit about that experience when you were growing up in the farm. How does that translate positively into in the entrepreneurship world for you right now? Absolutely. So a couple of things that come to mind are just the, the, the hard work ethic. Um, you know, when you live on a farm, it was dairy farming that I, I you know, my family did um, and maple sugaring. So uh, with maple sugaring, you're up in the woods, you're tapping trees you, it takes 40 gallons of sap from a maple tree to make one gallon of maple syrup. So growing up, you're spending all day out in the woods in February in Vermont, tapping trees to get ready for the season before things start thawing and the sap starts running. 
And then you need to make sure that you get all that sap into the sugar house so that you can boil it down. So knowing that it took 40 gallons to make one gallon, you couldn't waste anything. Like if you were trudging through feet of snow, we would carry the sack with five gallon buckets. So we would literally walk to every tree in the woods, pour the bucket that was hanging on the tree into the bucket that we were carrying, that was a bigger bucket, and then carry that back to a wagon that was drawn by either horses or a four wheeler. And then we would bring that back to the sugar house to boil it down into syrup, right? So when there was feet of snow and mud and all this stuff and your feet were cold and your hands were cold, it didn't matter how much pain you had or how much, you know, you wanted to quit and go home to the fire and that was in the living room and nice and warm and dry clothes. Your uncle was like, Hey, you just spilled a drop of sap back there. Make sure you're being careful. Like, cause they would, they wouldn't, they didn't care about any of that other stuff besides that you didn't spill sap. Right. Similarly on the farm, it didn't matter what day of the year or that what day of the week it was, you had to get the job done and you had to make hay when the sun shine. If the, if it was going to be sunny for the next four days and then it was going to be rainy for a week and you had to get hay in, or you had to get crops in, it didn't matter um, you know, what else you had to put everything else aside and get that done before the rain came, you know, or if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas and you had a cow having a calf and, and, and you needed to make sure that that calf was delivered and healthy and the mom was healthy. It didn't matter if Thanksgiving was in an hour, you had to go to the barn and help that cow and make sure that that calf was safe and had food and bedding and, 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 and the conditions were all good. Um, you know, if there was an emergency and it would, like where the cows got out on the farm and they're out in the road somewhere 20, 30 minutes away across the county, you didn't, it didn't matter what you were doing. You had to stop and drop everything you were doing and go get the cows back in so that one of them didn't get hit by a car and kill somebody and create a liability for the family and the farm. So it made you realize that sometimes the job just needs to get done regardless of what's happening in your life. Right. So it created this no matter what attitude, this needs to get done. It also created, um, you know, a, a team atmosphere like, hey, you had to be thinking about more than just yourself because the farm would provide for a lot of people. It provided for the whole family. And so it didn't matter what sibling or what cousin was was doing this or was doing that. If, if someone else was busy, you had to pick up the slack and you couldn't be selfish around you know what you were doing or what you weren't doing so it created that team atmosphere and and being a part of something that was bigger than yourself wow man that's a that's a that's an awesome uh, uh um, reflection back on uh, your experience in the farm and i think uh i think i think going back to uh to that i think your uh your your past your past experience influence future decision right so in the past you have learned that hey shit gotta get done no matter what the same thing in business doesn't matter the hour the time the effort you put in the the the, the, the result needs to show up right otherwise this is not done right same thing with working with the team right if one person you will only rise to the level of your lowest leg 
you know, your weakest link. So if somebody is not being a team player, somebody is not fit in the culture, even if they're producing, right? They're just going to pull everybody down. So that's that's really uh, awesome that you learned that lesson in a, such a early years of, uh, of maybe back then you didn't know that it was going to be going to help you propel you to where you are today. But now looking back, that's why I, I love asking people what their past experience is because everybody act a certain way in business and mm-hmm. that is you know sometimes like sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad i have bad character trait that does not fit well in business you know uh, i have uh, you know character trait that uh, i'm still trying to work on either to get rid of or to hire somebody that will cover that weakness because uh but the, the self-aware here is so important uh, to the listener that you have to uh, be aware that uh, when you're in business, things need to get done, right? Uh, you know, somebody, you know, you can think and plan all day long, but somebody got to be out there executing those plans, right? Yep. yep. Now, talk to me a little bit about what you're doing right now, man. Like, what is... What is the financial planner? Why do we need it? Why why do we need financial planning? Why do we need a good partner that have our best interests at heart plan our financial? Because uh, you know, because let's 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 just cut out all the bullshit. Be honest here. Everybody squirm. Every business owner squirm. When we start talking about financial, when we start talking about budget, when we start talking about accounting, when we start talking about finance, when we start talking about anything that had everything to do with profit and number, everybody squirm, everybody check out for 10 minutes. But it doesn't matter. We need to talk about it. So talk, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's funny that you say that um, we don't want to talk about it because in the house or the family that I grew up in, we didn't talk about it. It was like, you don't talk about money. You don't talk about your income. And that's not to say that you need to tell everybody about how much money you make. But I'm very thorough believer that we fear what we don't understand. And so it's it's natural that people don't want to talk about money or finances because they don't understand it and it's intimidating. And so it's very easy to just put it on the back burner and just kind of kick the can down the road and worry about it later. But the reason that nobody knows or understands it, in my opinion, not to get into conspiracy or anything, but it's by design. If we were to know this, if we were to be empowered with this information, we would be more powerful. We would have more money. We would have more options. We would have more choices. We could impact we could make more impact with our money. And so do as a general population, if that was to be true, do the powers that be really want us having that type of knowledge and information? Because, you know, the, the fact is we don't know what we don't know. And so until you peel back that onion, it, it's not going to be, it, it's easy to, again, just not talk about it. So how I kind of got into it um, in financial planning was like I told you briefly by a family event. And, um, when for some member, I think, you know, 
call it God, the universe, or whatever you believe in. But when I when my uncle passed away and I saw the ripple effects of the lack of financial planning, um, I was I was just like, man, I may I was at the time I was making what I thought was good money, like low six figures, maybe 120, 130K a year. I was 25 years old. And I said, you know, I don't want to be a burden to my family if something happens to me. So, um, you know, I don't have any kids. I didn't at that time and I still don't yet. But uh, so I don't have any dependents. But I knew that if something ever happened to me, I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to allow my loved ones, uh, you know, and people I cared about a chance to grieve and not have um, not be worse off if I was no longer around. Um, because I already told you, like I had big dreams and big goals to, and my family is a big part of that, you know, take care of my family, not to just make life super easy for them, but to give them options and, and choices, right? Um, so that's when I personally started going down the rabbit hole of meeting with a financial planner for the first time myself. And um, I think this story is relevant because it really leads into why financial planning and particularly why someone who really, really, really has your true best interest at heart being that person for you. Because when I went into the business, uh, I worked with someone, or let me back up, when I first met with a financial planner myself, when I was still in the wireless industry, I gave this person a money commitment of $1,000 a month. And they ended up selling me, and I know we've talked about this, they ended up selling me a life insurance policy And they basically told me to put that whole $1,000 a month that I told them I could afford to save into a life insurance policy. And at the time, I was pumped. I I had just found out all this new information about life insurance that I never knew before. And so I was like, man, I'm going to pay $1,000 a month into this thing from now until I'm 65. And when when I get there, I'm going to have this, you know, million dollar or $1.2 million death benefit and and I can pull out money from this thing tax free for my retirement. It's going to be awesome. I was I was pumped. Then 15 months later, I went into the industry myself, and so I stopped making that ten to twelve thousand dollars a month I was used to. I had about twenty thousand dollars in savings, but obviously, if you do the math, that's only about two two months worth of income. So even after buttoning down and reducing my spending and whatnot, after about four or five months, I started to run out of money. And I hadn't really started making money in the financial business yet. So what was the first bill that I stopped paying? It was that life insurance for the $1,000 a month. So I had been paying on this thing for about 15 months. So I'd put about $15,000 into it. And so for a few months... Uh, the cash value that had built up in that policy paid the premiums that I was no longer paying to prevent it from lapsing. But ultimately, that policy lapsed a few months later. And from that $15,000 that I put into it, I got a check back from the insurance company for $328. So basically, I hemorrhaged you know, over $14,500 that I could have really used at that time. And that's when I learned the hard way that Somebody hadn't had my best interests in mind. They didn't really tell me that, hey, um, maybe we should reduce what you're putting in here so you can build up your cash savings more so you have more like six months of income instead of two. Um, Maybe there's other things that you should or could be doing with your money to help build wealth in addition to this one other thing that we recommended. So 
So that's when I went through my personal journey of getting into the industry and getting into the career and really wanting to, because of what had happened to me, do right by people and do it the right way. So now to kind of build that context, you know, financial planning. Historically, in the financial industry, there has been really two schools of thought. One is, you know, the wirehouse invest everything mindset, where if you just invest, 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 you're gonna have so much money, you can invest your way out of anything, right? It was very extremely focused on investing in the market and securities. And then you had the other side of the house, it was very heavily focused on insurance and saying, hey, if you just have enough insurance and cash value and death benefit, your family will be okay. You can insure your way out of anything. And those are both the kind of polar opposites of each other. And the real uh, you know, solution for most people, most often, not all the time, but it's somewhere in the middle or a mix of those two. So ultimately, you know, I went through a couple firms in my earlier in my career um, that one was a captive insurance company. I was there for about six months and I realized very quickly that I didn't want to just be selling insurance because although life insurance is an important part of a financial plan, it is not a financial plan. It's just one product. So I didn't want to be a one trick pony. I wanted to really help people on a more holistic and comprehensive basis. So that is when a mentor of mine at the time took me under their wing and said, hey, we're going to start an RIA, which is a registered investment advisor. We're going to we're going to do investments, too. We're going to get you licensed and we're going to have all these companies that we can do business and broker with so that you have open architecture um, to help your clients really uh, find the products that um, are best suited for them and not have to work with just one company. And at the time, that sounded great. But what I first, what I uh, soon found out was that it was still very product focused. There wasn't much of a process and um, there was just something missing, right? Not to mention that um, the, the mentor that had brought me under their wing was still just one person. Like even though that person was very smart, very well-educated, and very capable. They were kind of going through some personal stuff at the time. So they weren't very present in the office as they needed to be for someone who was still green like me and wanted to learn. So I was honestly like failing out of the business and um, realized that I had a lack of infrastructure, a lack of support, a lack of training, and a lack of a process, right? So really my job was just to get quote unquote cheeks in the seats to, you know, help sell a product that were, you know, focusing on features and benefits rather than empowering and educating the client. So again, I was, I was, uh, and I'll come back to that in a second. I was about to fail out of the business in late 2019, 2020. I actually went on a couple interviews at an insurance job and I realized like, Hey, I didn't come this far to only come this far. The only way out of this is through. So I need to stay the course, but figure out what firm is going to be the actual right fit for me to truly impact my clients and people on the level that I wanted to in a meaningful way. And that's when I locked arms with Commonwealth, who I'm with now. And, um, you know, they really drive through an education-driven process. So what I really focus on is educating my clients and empowering my clients to make more confident and empowered decisions. Because in any area, including finances, especially finances, there's three areas of knowledge, right? You know what you know, you know what you don't know, right? You know that there's probably some things that you don't know about finance. I know there's some things that I don't know about decks, right? 
But there's also this whole other area of knowledge that you don't know that you don't know. And that is basically infinite. Because the more you realize, the more you learn, the more you know, the more that you realize how much you don't know. Right. And so what I do with financial planning to answer your question and kind of bring that around is really holistically educating my clients and providing resources for them so that no matter what uh, type of financial decision that they are making, if it's not something that I can directly help them with, it's something that I can at least point them in the right direction and make a referral to someone who I already have vetted and know, like, and trust so that they can make sure that as they're making all these financial decisions, they're not taking three steps forward and two steps back. Because what I see is a lot of the time, people will go through life making these financial decisions under different circumstances over time with different people as on an as-needed basis. So it's very reactionary. It's not proactive. So as a result, they'll accumulate this financial junk drawer. They'll have some investments. They'll have some insurance. They'll have their business. They'll have some real estate, but none of it is jiving and talking to each other. None of it is coordinated and integrated into a plan that's going to complement itself and kind of build on itself and be aligned with your vision and your best interest, like you said in the beginning. So that's what I really do is in addition to helping my clients implement uh, you know, strategies and different financial products or vehicles, I really help coordinate and integrate that plan and, and play financial quarterback, I like to say. Really, really that financial integrator of like, what are we working with here? Let's really track that cash flow. Let's really see what what might make sense to to think about. And then let's talk through what those options are. Wow, that sounds uh that sounds real comprehensive, man. Um because uh I had a few experience with financial planner and uh you know I I don't know a lot of about the financial world and but I, I know when somebody's trying to push a product out on me. You know, it's uh, uh, regardless of my cash flow situation, regardless of uh, our, our cash reserves, will, yeah, our will to grow the business because the last thing I want to do is take all the cash out of the business. You know, we go to the winner and then we have an opportunity to do some business over the winner, but now I have no cash, no capital no cash to run at or you know try out a couple of different things so uh so really i think uh i think this is from my opinion that most business owners just want somebody to come in there and take a look at their current situation and see if they're investable yeah see if, I mean- see if uh see if the first thing that that uh that whether okay should you show up your business or should you take all the money out of business by $100,000 insurance policy, right? Uh, are you in the, even in the position this year, next year, or the year after to be able to stock some money away and, you know, start thinking about, you know, reducing your tax position, reducing your, uh, you know, basically your risk, mitigate risk, because the business is always the highest risk. Yeah. Right. Right. So highest uh, risk and probably highest return. Right. Right. So, uh, so it's just really somebody. I think of a financial planner, just somebody come in second to the to the 
to the CEO or whoever the company they're running or whatever the family business or whatever it is, it's just basically a risk analyzer to see if it makes sense for in their particular situation to be able to, you know, make some changes and maybe at the same time show them the reality of where they're at right now. Yeah. You know, a lot of what I do is where are the gaps and inefficiencies? Where do you maybe have a blind spot? Right. Because like I say, everybody thinks financial planners are advisors and maybe some of them are, but not me. Like maybe they're always thinking about what, how do I make money on the next Amazon or Tesla or, or whatever stock, but the losses hurt more than the gains help. So really financial planning, like you said, is that risk mitigation. It's how do we make iterative improvements over time to be more efficient and make sure we're plugging those gaps and plugging those holes and getting it less wrong over time, right? Because again, you're you're in the weeds, you're on the on the hamster wheel, doing the thing, building the business uh, in the trenches, and and every once in a while we gotta we gotta pull back and look at the big picture, take inventory, take stock of all that stuff, and say, hey, from a thirty thousand foot view, what are we seeing? And then, like you said, how do we be proactive on that stuff? So, hey, man. Uh... If people want to reach out to you, maybe just have a consultant session uh, to see where they're at. Uh, and like I say, uh, even make sure that, uh, you know, just get another set of eye on their financial. Uh, how, how do they reach out to you, man? Yeah, so um, probably social media would be the best way. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a personal website or anything. You can look it up. Um on like the Commonwealth Financial Group site and like look at advisors and you can find me there and there's a little bio and there is a link where you can schedule a meeting there. Otherwise, you can just follow me on uh, Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram. It's Andrew Howrigan. Um, has the blue check on Facebook. I'll, I'm going to get that on Instagram as well. So that's uh, congruent on all platforms here very soon. And uh, shoot me a follow uh, or, or drop in the DMs if you're already uh, certain that... Uh, you, you think you'd benefit from having a conversation or you're open to it. Um, you know, the first console is always on me and then we can kind of see if it's a good fit to work together or if it even makes sense. Or if there's a, a simple question I can answer for you, I'm always uh, happy to spend 30 minutes um, with anybody who, uh, who needs help or, you know, things they might benefit from a conversation. So uh, if that's one advice that uh, you can give our listener, th- these are probably all contractors or have somewhat of a service business, what what can they do now? Yeah. Now, right now, to shore up immediately, uh, whether it's term life or whatever it is, what can they do right now to uh to to improve their financial situation immediately? Yeah. I mean, like that with uh with licenses I hold and whatnot, I can't necessarily say you should do one particular thing or vehicle or strategy to get started. So that said, that's very subjective, but uh, what I would say applies to anyone and everyone is that winners keep score, right? So you gotta pay attention to the numbers. You gotta be uh, checking that daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. You gotta be paying attention um, because I compare it to like on on the playground as a kid, you're playing horse or pig or uh, kickball or um, 500, you know, the bully on the playground or the winner, he was always the one telling you the score. 
And so if you're not keeping score, you're you're the one you're probably getting bullied in the marketplace and you probably don't even know it. So start wow. start tracking your numbers, start paying attention. And um that that probably will start leading you in the right direction. And then at some point, you're gonna you're gonna want or need or realize that a second opinion could help. And um, you know, you can go from there. But I would say start by uh, looking at the numbers and taking inventory and paying attention to uh to what's coming in, what's going out. And again, winners keep score. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Uh, and thank you for all the value. And you have a great story, man. And uh, I love that uh, you take the blue collar ethical work into the white collar world. And uh, and you you have already providing me and our listener more value than somebody who's just trying to put some insurance plan, right? So we'll 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 talk offline, but. Uh, But thanks again, and uh, we'll talk. We'll talk soon. All right, hey, Mel, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, man. And uh, it's great to meet you uh, and finally chat and uh, get to know you a little bit better. And uh, like that, I look forward to talking offline.